0: I'm Michael Izakoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan
1: Clydman, Editor-in-Chief
0: of Yahoo News. And a quick reminder that you can follow us at Pod. And by the way, if you've got any questions, thoughts, ideas you want to share, tweet right at us. Now let's get on with the show. For two months in November, the House Intelligence Committee heard from a parade of witnesses presenting highly incriminating and at times riveting testimony about President Trump's campaign to pressure the Ukrainian government to announce investigations of his political rival, Joe Biden, and supposed Ukrainian interference in the 2016 election. The hearings produced banner headlines across the country and were covered nonstop by the cable news channels, and at times even by the TV networks themselves. And yet, as the Democratic-controlled House moves closer to a full vote on articles of impeachment, likely before Christmas, big questions remain. Will there be yet more testimony from witnesses we still haven't heard from, like former National Security Advisor John Bolton? Will any Republicans actually vote to impeach? Or will Trump be impeached on an entirely partisan basis? And most of all, what do voters think? Will a majority of the American public support impeachment and removal of the president from office during an election year? Or as the polls still show, is the public still sharply divided? We'll discuss with former New York Congressman Steve Israel, Adam Schiff's longtime best friend and confidant in the House, and with Andrew Romano, a Yahoo News political reporter, who will break down the numbers on a new Yahoo News YouGov poll on the issue, all on this episode of Skullduggery.
2: Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I told the American people I did not trade arms for hostage. My heart and my best intentions still tell me that's true, but the facts and the evidence tell me it is not.
1: I did not
2: have sexual relations with that woman. There will be no lies. We will honor the American people with the truth and nothing else.
0: I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. So, you know, we had two weeks of uh, turmoil in Washington with the uh, impeachment hearings before House intelligence. We all thought we were going to get a bit of a break. And then we get more turmoil inside the Trump administration on a whole other issue this weekend. And that was the uh, pardon for the accused war criminal Navy SEAL Gallagher.
1: Yeah, technically, it wasn't a pardon. It was Trump reversed his uh, demotion. Gallagher had been accused of murdering an ISIS detainee, but was acquitted on that charge, though Eddie Gallagher was convicted of posing uh, next to the dead prisoner. Look, this is kind of an extraordinary series of events here, and a president and commander-in-chief really undermining a lot of the top brass in the Navy and in the SEALs, and it raises a lot of questions about whether the system that the military has, the military justice system, is how it's going to fare going forward when you have a president who
0: is willing to reverse all of their processes. You know, Not to mention the fact that the uh, secretary of the Navy is fired as a result of this for uh, not informing the secretary of defense of a private side deal he was trying to cut with the president on this issue. I think it only underscored uh, just the sort of amateur hour dimension to so much of what goes on in the Trump administration.
1: Yeah. And the bigger picture here is that you have a special operations community that has been really weathering a pretty serious crisis of ethics. Um, the SEALs in particular, lots of scandals over the past few years, including sexual assault scandals, alcoholism, and murder. And there are a lot of reasons for that. There are some people who will say that that community has been under pressure for, you know, in wars for the last uh, 20 years. There's been a kind of a Hollywoodization of, of the SEALs in the wake of the bin Laden operation in which they were lionized by everyone. And you have people like the Admiral Colin Green, who is the head of the SEALs right now, who came in wanting to restore this idea of good order and discipline, which you know has to do with following the rules, the rule of law, and which they think is required for military effectiveness. Green wanted to come in and restore the kind of traditional values uh, to the SEALs and, and the kind of ethics that, that the SEALs kind of held up and known for— And look what happens. You know, he's completely undermined by the commander-in-chief. And, you know, there are, I think, legitimate questions as to whether this is going to set back that effort for a long time. So it's going to be a very tough time for the special operations community. And this president, you know, really undercut them what his relationship with the military is going to be going forward. It's the last thing I would have expected that uh, President Trump would have such a completely dysfunctional relationship with the military. Remember, he always talked about my generals. And um, his generals, I think, are to some extent in revolt against him.
0: How is that any different than his completely dysfunctional relationship with the State Department, with the FBI, with agencies throughout the government? And certainly a lot of that has been highlighted during the uh, impeachment hearings that we've all been attuned to. Look, a lot to get to on that. And we've got two good guests to talk about it. But I do want to just make the point that as we go into the Thanksgiving holidays, what we know is that the intelligence community is now going to be writing this report, summarizing or detailing all the evidence it compiled, something that can then be shipped over to the Judiciary Committee to draft articles of impeachment. But while they are doing so, the criminal justice process moves Ever more inexorably onward and upward, uh, we just got the news that federal prosecutors in New York have subpoenaed yet more associates of uh, Rudy Giuliani for investigations into obstruction of justice, money laundering, failure to register as a foreign agent, and other grounds. So it seems that the investigation by the Southern District in New York into Giuliani and the role that he has played in all this is continuing inexorably. And uh, we also just got word that the uh, National Enquirer company chief, David Pecker, is talking with New York prosecutors as well. You all remember the uh, campaign finance investigation uh, into the hush money payments that Trump paid to uh, women who alleged to having affairs with them, the National Inquirer, of course, played a key role in that. So, Donald Trump's legal troubles are far from over.
1: Well, just remember that, you know, the Russia investigation, which a lot of Democrats had pinned their hopes on, kind of ended with a whimper. And there were a lot of people who thought, okay, well, that's it. We'll just move on. And the fate of Donald Trump will only be decided in the 2020 election. And then, of course, the ukraine scandal erupted and so hope springs eternal for uh, the president's opponent <laughs> right. for the president's opponents and while we uh, are in a bit of a lull here on ukraine because we don't have witnesses coming forward Anything could happen to uh, disrupt that quiet period that we're in now. And we, of course, will be here on Skullduggery waiting to uh, report on it and, uh, and talk about it with our guests. And in the meantime, we've uh, got a, a great couple of guests to talk about the politics of all of this as we move forward. So let's get to the show.
0: We now have with us former Congressman Steve Israel, who uh, represented a district in Long Island for 16 years, between 2001 to 2017, and also happens to be one of the best friends of Congressman Adam Schiff overseeing the uh, House impeachment inquiry. And we thought he could give us some good insights into how Schiff has been handling this and what we should expect going forward. Congressman, welcome to Skullduggery.
2: Well, thanks for having me on. Pleasure to do it.
0: So let's uh, start out with where things stand on the impeachment front right now. Schiff has, uh, it seems like they're moving forward the House Intelligence Committee with the report itself, not waiting for other witnesses who they haven't been able to question, including John Bolton, his deputy Kupperman, not to mention Mick Mulvaney, Mike Pompeo, and some of the other characters who are key to this story. Is that the right move to move forward now?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's the only move uh, that uh, that they can make, uh, given the reluctance of the Trump administration, the reti- reticence of the Trump administration in in cooperating with this investigation, allowing key witnesses to even testify. I talk to Adam uh, literally every single day, sometimes several times a a day, and uh, our last conversation, he talked about the fact that they're going to continue their investigation. They are, you know, building their case, they are establishing fact patterns, Uh, and ultimately all of this will go to the House Judiciary Committee, which will make a determination as to whether to recommend to the full House articles of impeachment.
0: But how do you continue the investigation if you've got to write your report and get it to the House Judiciary Committee for a vote by the full House before Christmas? It seems to me, inevitably, you're not going to get those missing witnesses.
2: Well, it's two tracks. They are writing the report right now. And so the. Most of the hearings, the heavy responsibility and burden of the hearings is is behind them. Right now, they are writing their report. But where there is a need to talk to additional witnesses, where there is a a compelling reason for them to continue an investigation in a a certain direction, uh, they will do it.
1: Congressman, since you've been talking to uh, Congressman Schiff on an almost daily basis, mm-hmm. one of the things that uh, people have speculated about and Republicans have called for is that Schiff testify before the House uh, Judiciary Committee. And uh, since, well, yeah. I mean, you know, there, there is precedent for that. The Intelligence Committee inquiry is essentially the fact-gathering part of this process. Ken Starr, of course, testified before the... Uh, Judiciary Committee uh, during the Clinton impeachment so yeah. you you chuckled but is, is you don't think that's a, uh, yeah. an option?
2: There is no comparison. There is no comparison. Ken Starr was a special prosecutor. He was not an elected member of Congress. He wasn't the chairman of a committee. And Adam Schiff is an elected member of Congress and now happens to be the chairman of the committee. So uh, the argument that some Republicans uh, have advanced that, well, Ken Starr did it, so should Adam Schiff, is as apples to oranges as you can get. And, you know, frankly, I think it's frustrating Like these These folks will do everything they can to distract, to deflect, and uh, this is part of that game plan. Now, suddenly you say that Schiff should testify. Schiff has done nothing wrong. There's no need for him to testify, and there is absolutely no basis in any kind of reasonable comparison between Schiff and others who have testified before the Judiciary Committee.
1: So he's not going to testify, Uh, correct?
2: Well, uh, we have not talked about that specifically. That's his judgment to make. But the comparison, suddenly, look, these guys have made everybody who has come before them an enemy of the state. That is, Dan, I'm sorry to say, that is their game plan. So, you know, you've got decorated military people who suddenly are accused of somehow acting against the interests of the United States or spying for, you know, for Ukraine. And to to put Adam Schiff in that position is ludicrous. It is an attempt to deflect, to try and create uh, smoke where there is none. And specifically to argue that there's precedent for a member of Congress, a chairman uh, of an investigating committee, to testify to the Judiciary Committee is just a completely false comparison.
0: The basis that the Republicans say for questioning Schiff is that there are outstanding questions about whether the whistleblower, whose complaint essentially triggered this entire inquiry, whether the whistleblower was coached, assisted, given advice by shift staff when the whistleblower approached the staff back during the summer. So, you know, just basic questions. Uh, Doesn't the public and the full house deserve to know what the nature of those contacts were, whether they were completely innocent or whether it went beyond that? Those seem like not illegitimate questions that people might want to know the answer to.
2: Well, I I understand the the questions, but uh, I also think that we have to be careful to... Number one, provide protections to whistleblowers, particularly when every we're not not talking about uh, identifying diplomat, military person. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm not convinced. Given the uh, the number, the frequency, and the magnitude of leaks coming out of Adam's own committee from Republicans, that person won't be identified. And again, Mike, I have to say this is not the issue. The issue is you have a president of the United States who has a summary of a call who said it's perfect you don't even need a whistleblower anymore the president of the united states uh, has released a summary of a call which he calls a transcript which it is not that is the evidence that is what went wrong that is what needs to be investigated and not who the whistleblower was or under what circumstances that whistleblower reported to the congress which whistleblowers have every right to do and the precedent that we would be setting by telling every potential whistleblower may end up being hauled before a uh, investigative committee of Congress, and oh, by the way, they are promising to release uh, to protect your identity, but you know that didn't work out for Valerie Plain, for example, in another administration. It's a it's a, a horrific precedent,
0: but Congressman. I'm not I'm not talking about even forcing the whistleblower to testify here the question yeah. is was there coaching assistance given by Schiff and his staff to the whistleblower about how to craft uh, that complaint. And that seems to me sort of a pretty, you know, sort of basic series of questions that could be answered relatively quickly, depending on the answer. Have you discussed this with Schiff? Uh, Do you know just to what degree there were communications uh, prior to the uh, whistleblower's complaint between the whistleblower and Schiff and his staff?
2: No, Michael, I've not had that conversation with Congressman Schiff. However, I watched him at one of the hearings where the Republicans were alleging that he had inappropriate contacts with the whistleblower, to which he responded, it's not true, didn't do it, never did do it. But that won't stop many of these Republicans from trying to create smoke where there is no fire or fire where there's no smoke.
0: Right. Well, I think what he said is he didn't know the identity of the whistleblower. But yeah, go ahead, Dan.
2: No, I think he also said, I, I believe he said at uh, one point during one of the hearings, uh, point blank, that he had no contact with the whistleblower. I believe that was part of the record.
1: Congressman, at the end of the day, public sure. opinion is going to have to move in the direction of supporting impeachment and ultimately removal Uh from the Senate, because that's the only Uh way you're going to actually get any Republicans in the Senate to vote to convict the president. Uh We're not seeing in, in the early polls, we're not seeing much movement yet. I wonder how concerned or how frustrated is Schiff about you know how polarized our politics are, that people essentially have come into this process, that the American people have come in with kind of baked-in opinions. We're so tribal, yeah. we're so polarized, that ultimately you can't really move the needle no matter how persuasive the case is.
2: It's an excellent point and question. So let me just kind of break this down for you. You know, I chaired the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee for four years. So I've got a really good sense of where electoral opinion moves, where it doesn't, and where is it important for electoral opinion to move. And I think that the analyses of the politics of this have been largely incorrect. I'm sorry if you don't mind me saying. Absolutely. No, please, bring it on. (laughs) We're in a love or loathe electorate. 35 to 40 percent of the electorate loves Donald Trump. No matter what is revealed in these hearings and uh, if the House votes to impeach, they couldn't care less. They love him. 45 to 50% of the electorate loathed Donald Trump if these hearings completely exonerated him. And if Donald Trump uh, invented a cure for cancer, they would still loathe him. That leaves 20% of the electorate that's undecided. That's the segment of the electorate where the trajectory of impeachment will resonate most impactfully. Second thing is that 20% is important in only seven battleground states. So if you are not sure whether Donald Trump should be impeached or not, and you're living in Wisconsin or Pennsylvania or Florida, Arizona, etc., that's a big deal. And the third important metric in this is that there are about, I don't know, 20 to 30 specific counties, swing counties, in battleground states that count. And so that was a fairly long-winded way of saying that when you're trying to understand these polls of whether President Trump should or should not be impeached, I think people ought to disregard them. What counts is, what are people, what is that 20% of the undecided electorate thinking in 20 to 30 counties in those seven battleground states? And that will largely determine, the judgment that they make will largely determine the politics of this and whether it ends up re-electing Donald Trump or not reelecting Donald Trump.
0: Well, all that that analysis, which is fascinating, is all done through the prism of what's going to be the impact on next November's election <laughs> nearly Correct. a year from now. You know, there's the more Correct. immediate question about whether you proceed with an impeachment, no matter how damning the evidence yeah. uh, and the testimony, if you don't have any Republican buy-in it's a purely partisan impeachment. You don't have a clear majority of the American public that supports it. Now I listened, Mm -hmm. we had Adam Schiff on this podcast over a year ago in which we Mm -hmm. asked him about impeachment. Then in the context of the Mueller investigation and he for precisely the reasons I just cited, he did not want to move forward with impeachment that was partisan and didn't have clear public support. That was also Speaker Pelosi's reluctance to go down this road. We've had two weeks of hearings, and it seems to be we're in the same place. Yeah. So
2: uh, on this, I had many, many conversations with Congressman Schiff and uh, with Speaker Pelosi. We talked about this extensively, and you're absolutely right. Their view was that impeachment without a bipartisan basis and without a consensus by the American people would have consequences uh, that, uh, that could be negative. But here's when it changed. It changed when President Trump made that phone call to Zelensky and when the whistleblower uh, reported on that. That became a bridge too far. I can tell you firsthand. I mean, and you can you, you saw it happening within a period of 72 hours when members of Congress, including Democrats from districts that Donald Trump won, suddenly said, "We cannot ignore an impeachment because of the politics of this. It would set a very dangerous standard." And so this is one of those rare instances, and forgive me if I sound uh, you know cliche about this, but this is one of those rare instances where politics really was put in the back seat. There was a sense by Schiff, by Pelosi, by Democrats in tough districts that that phone call to Zelensky, the day after Mueller testified, could not be ignored and that not to impeach would be a crass political decision. Now they're going to have to make a case. Uh, and obviously impeachment, as you, well, you guys both know, it's not a legal standard. It is a political judgment that sitting members of the House and sitting members of the Senate make. They're going to have to make a case and see where it lands say one other thing on this, if I may. I was with a group of my former Republican colleagues just about two weeks ago uh, in the Capitol. And I asked them where they thought this was going. And the consensus was that there's a direct correlation between the number of Republicans who vote to impeach in the House and the number of Republican senators who will be willing to vote to convict in the Senate. So the, the, the larger the number of House members who are Republican who vote to impeach, the larger the number of Senate Republicans who will vote to convict, and in their estimation, they couldn't get to more than three to five Republican House members who would vote to impeach. Which means you're looking at a similar or smaller number in the Senate. Now that's now.
0: We'll have. To I'm not even sure you get three to five. Will Heard yeah. last week was. It's I mean, me. he's the one who everybody was looking to. Former CIA officer, yeah. retiring, uh, level-headed guy who you know understands the importance of of these uh, of the impact of these things on national security. Yeah. And he said, listen, I thought the call, phone call was inappropriate. It was wrong, but it doesn't rise to the level of impeachment. By the way, we also had last week, your uh, old colleague and neighbor, Peter King, right. who's, you know, got a record of being pragmatic and work cutting across, working across party lines. And he's in the same place. He's not going to vote for impeachment. Uh, he doesn't, uh, Doesn't believe it's warranted here. So if that's where we are with no Republican buy in, uh, you know, maybe you'll get Rooney in Florida. That's one. But nobody sees much chance beyond that. Then and and, and if that means you're not going to get any Republican senators, is this a suicide mission?
2: Look, I can't make that judgment because, number one, we, we haven't seen the, the case presented to the Judiciary Committee yet. We haven't seen one single hearing by the Judiciary Committee. Some would have said that the impeachment of Richard Nixon was a suicide mission. I do believe that if you're a Republican in the House or Senate and you're flirting with impeachment, that that's a suicide mission, that you suddenly will have Donald Trump running primaries against you, tweeting nastily at you. And I believe that's what's the basic motive. That's the basic motive of many Republicans. They are fearful of retribution by this president, which is why now some people are talking foolishly, in my view, of a secret ballot in impeachment, speculating that you could have 30 senators. I I have no idea whether that's true or not, but that gives you a sense of how fearful they are that if they move too far against Trump, they're going to pay for it either with a primary or with constant vilification that they can't survive in their districts or states.
1: Congressman, you identified a kind of turning point moment in our history, uh, not to be too grandiose about it, but when you uh, (laughs) said that it was a a bridge too far for um, Adam Schiff and and others in Congress, the president's conduct required an impeachment inquiry, even if it ended up being Mm -hmm. an entirely partisan process. I wonder, what was that conversation like with Adam Schiff when he made that decision? You must have talked to him about it. Uh, Describe it.
2: Well, We talked it through, and and I wasn't the only one that spoke to him about it. I know that you know he had conversations with quite a few current colleagues and former colleagues you know he and i were elected together in 2000 and and just bonded immediately so we kind of grew up in the house of representatives together but i don't want to represent that i'm the the only human being that he talked to about it this was very emotional for him the the political calculation was as i said before that impeachment could be a political negative i think he and and many democrats and i will tell you quite a few republicans that i spoke to were literally jarred by that news jarred by the fact that the president would uh, would do something like that and it became almost uh traumatic for them and the notion of just ignoring it because you know we could lose a few house seats uh just became untenable and that was a real struggle for them but in my opinion they they did the right thing i also believe by the way that if Barack Obama, I know it's self-evident, but my God, if he had done one one sixteenth of what the president did, and the Republicans had the majority, he, you know, there, he'd be had been convicted by now.
0: So there's a good level of <laughs> not to mention William. if Hillary Clinton had been elected, uh, you know, how many uh, impeachment? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hearings we would have had uh, by now if the Republicans uh, still controlled the House. But looking forward to when this goes to House Judiciary, I'm still a little unclear about what those articles are going to look like. First, whether it's they're just going to be about this, the Ukraine matter, the Ukraine pressure campaign and the obstruction by the White House in refusing to turn over documents or allow witness testimony Or will it go broader into aspects of the Mueller investigation, obstruction of that, emoluments? And then secondly, and I think this is equally important, what is that first article? Is it a broad abuse of office or does it allege a crime, a crime of bribery, Mm -hmm. something that would be a violation of the law, which I should add is something the way our previous presidential impeachments have gone. They were always in the context of violation of the law. So on those two Mm -hmm. fronts, give me your take.
2: Well, here's where you have a decided advantage in having somebody like Adam Schiff in the room when these decisions are made, and that is that he's a former federal prosecutor, and he knows strategically uh, what case you present. Uh, he knows strategically if there's going to be an indictment, what charges you present. Uh, and so right now we're in a two or three phase process. Phase one was getting the intel investigations done, having witness testify, et cetera. Phase two, he does his report, goes to the judiciary committee. Phase. Three is the Judiciary Committee. I believe, based on published reports, because I've not talked to Chairman Nadler about this, the Judiciary Committee will synthesize all of that information uh, and then make a determination as to whether or not to send articles of impeachment to the House and specifically what those articles will be. Now, there are some who say, just focus on Ukraine because that's the most damning, and when you throw everything else in, it looks like you're a prosecutor who's you know trying to throw in the kitchen sink. There are others who say it should be broader. There's a third theory that the one article of impeachment that the president cannot escape is defying Congress, is not responding to subpoenas, uh, things along those lines. I mean, it's, it's irrefutable because he's tweeted that he doesn't, he, you know, he will not honor subpoenas. That will all be part of the judgments that are made by the, uh, that will be made by the Judiciary Committee once the reports are written. And it's premature to speculate on what it will look like without those reports having been written or filed.
0: Do you have a sense of where Schiff is on this? Does he want it to be restricted to Ukraine?
2: I do not. We've not talked about that.
0: Do you think,
1: uh, Congressman, that, that Schiff will be an impeachment manager in the Senate trial?
2: Uh, we've not talked about that either. I don't know. I will tell you that you know, uh, when you have a, a member who, number one, has prosecutorial experience and training as a federal prosecutor— Number two, has a grasp of intel matters, has a grasp of foreign policy and national security by virtue of his uh, position as both ranking member and chairman of the intel committee. That is a very potent one-two punch, and I know that Speaker Pelosi and the House leadership has an extraordinarily high regard for him. So although I don't know for sure, it sure wouldn't surprise me if he – uh, was selected as an impeachment manager. Ironically, you all know this because you guys follow politics. He defeated an impeachment manager, James Rogan, uh, during right. uh, Clinton That's impeachment. Right. Yeah. So that that would be uh, just uh, the circle going
0: all the way. <laughs> He got elected running against impeachment. That was his uh, one of his of uh, right. uh, messages right. yeah. when he ran uh, yep. when he ran for president.
1: It was somewhat unusual how this impeachment inquiry unfolded because it was all in the Judiciary Committee under the uh, leadership of of Jerry Nadler, and and Speaker Pelosi made the decision to essentially shift it to the House Intelligence Committee under Schiff. Why did that happen, um, and um, has that ruffled feathers between uh, between the committees and the committee chairman?
2: Not at all. Number, Actually, uh, my most recent conversation with Congressman Schiff, he was telling me how the Oversight Committee, the Judiciary Committee, and the Intel Committee – they really came together. Uh, In fact, he said that he was surprised at the level of cooperation and coordination by those three committees. Number two, he was very proud of his own members of the Intelligence Committee because they suspended uh, their egos. You know, look, as a former member, I can tell you, everybody likes that camera time. Uh, But in in this case, they were willing to stay out of the camera shot. Uh, Yeah, isn't that shocking? Uh, You know, they went against all the DNA in their bodies and, and kind of laid low to allow questions to be asked and uh, the reason that this went to intel is this uh, the, the issue of the ukraine call was squarely within the jurisdiction of the intelligence committee not the judiciary committee but the intelligence committee by virtue of the conversation with a foreign leader the fact that people seem to be running their own foreign policy and uh, and intelligence investigations so it was a jurisdictional issue
0: yeah, but there, there was another factor there, and that was the concern that the Judiciary Committee had had a couple of hearings, most recently with uh, Corey Lewandowski, that were just a circus and totally undermined the purpose of of bringing witnesses like that forward. And yeah. there was concern, I think, that if you let Nadler's Judiciary Committee handle it, uh, it was going to be another circus with, you know, you had, you had Jordan, you had Collins. You had all these Republicans that would do everything to make it a complete debacle and uh, disrupt the proceedings. And you have on judiciary a lot of, you know, pretty hard left members who want to impeach Donald Trump for everything <laughs> under the sun. And I, I, isn't there some concern on do you share it that once this gets to judiciary, that's what's going to happen anyway?
2: Yes, it is going to be a partisan circus because, you know, the Republicans on those committees are doing everything they can to to drive the credibility, to discredit the process. And you discredit the process by flinging mud all on every wall in those hearing rooms. So, yes, they're going to try that again. Chairman Nadler is going to have to run these hearings, if there are hearings, you know, again, not sure yet. But assuming there are hearings, he's, he's going to have to run these hearings with uh, a great deal of fortitude and fairness, but also some discipline. So, yeah, it was going to be a circus, yes. But, uh, you know, he's going to have to try and limit the, uh, you know, the number of rings that, that it's, uh, it's waged in.
0: Well, it's in judiciary that, at least according to the rules of, of the resolution, that uh, the president, gets to call, has a lawyer present, can have a lawyer present, and Mm -hmm. gets to call witnesses of his own, right? Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, how do you avoid having Hunter Biden called to testify and perhaps some others that would seem off point to the Democrats?
2: I'm sure that's what the Republican strategy will be. If they could, they would uh, also subpoena you and me and everybody else in order to... (laughs) Uh, to continue to make this a circus, and I, but I, I, I can't. Well, they play might it, I actually sure. subpoena
0: me, but that's besides the point. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Right.
2: The ratings would, would would just skyrocket on C-SPAN <laughs> if you were subpoenaed. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know exactly, you know, what kind of rules that they're going to establish in, in order to try and mitigate uh, some of the stunts that you can expect to be uh, attempted.
1: Congressman, since you're such a close yeah. friend of Adam Schiff's, uh, what do you think is in his future? I'm not suggesting that he plans on uh, uh, using uh, these impeachment proceedings as a as a launching ground for a career in, in, in politics. But what do you where do you think
0: but you, he goes? But you are. But I, I sort of <laughs> ask yes. a question. But where do you think he goes?
1: Yeah. Where do you think he he I mean, he was not a household name until, you know, about a year ago. Yeah. And now he is talked about all the time. What what does he want to do going forward
2: well, of course, the irony is that uh, when he was uh, grappling with what committee he wanted to go on, we had dinner. We used to uh, have dinner uh, at least once or twice a week, and we were having dinner. And he said, you know, I'm thinking about going on House Intel. And uh, we were, we served together on the Appropriations Committee at the time. And I said, why would you leave Appropriations to go to Intel? Appropriations is where all the power is. And he said, "He said, that, well, you know, Intel, first of all, it's bipartisan, and secondly, it's kind of quiet. <laughs> so to <laughs> this day, I say, how'd that work out for you, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> he's been really circumspect. I mean, this is like a, you know, whether you whether you love him or loathe him, he is a historic figure and this is a really pivotal moment and he's got a massive burden on his shoulders and so he has as a former prosecutor, he has just put everything else aside There is no conversation. I haven't talked to him about his future since, you know, he was thrust into this. Um, He's devoting 100 percent of his mental capacity to this case, to his responsibilities as chairman, and has put all the political calculations and the typical career considerations that most of my former colleagues and I uh, made uh, aside.
0: Tell us about the relationship with Devin Nunes, with whom you also served when you were in the house, uh, and You know, it is quite interesting because there was a time when Schiff and Nunes did work together on a bipartisan fashion when I first started covering uh, the two of them uh, a number of years ago. And at this point, God, they could not be more bitter enemies, it appears. Uh, Give us some uh, insight into that relationship. And Nunes, how do you explain the way he has evolved in all this?
2: Um, evolved or devolved in my opinion, um, and look i 'll tell you okay. what like this your next best seller should be about what happened <laughs> to, in, in, uh, in in that committee they had a They had a good working relationship, they were from the same state, contrary to public opinion, and as you guys well know, when you are in the same delegation, you tend not to be partisan. You can be partisan with people from another state, but you have to get stuff done for your state across the aisle. Uh, so your, your former guest, Peter King, and I, we did a lot of stuff together. We disagreed fundamentally, but you don't want to, you know, have an antagonistic relationship with people in your own delegation. What changed uh, in the Intel Committee was Devin's, and this is, you know, Adams talked about this publicly as well as privately, when he did that, that weird midnight run. A couple years ago, and talked about having information, but didn't t- talk about the fact that it was provided to him at the White House. I mean, literally at the White House, physically at the White House. That really uh, affected Devin's reputation on the committee, and uh, put their relationship in a very awkward position. And then Devin, in the opinion of many, and of course, you know, I'm biased, uh, but it seemed to to me and others that. Devin really became not the chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, but kind of the chief cheerleader uh, for uh, for President Trump. And uh, at that point, the relationship on those matters uh, began to diverge significantly.
1: Well, fascinating insights into this process, uh, partly you know based on your relationship with uh, Adam Schiff, but also your keen understanding of of politics today and. Uh, I'd say we would really love to have you um, back on during this election year to talk about that 20 percent of the electorate uh, that you identified and your analysis of uh, where they may or may not go. So we hope you'll come back to Skullduggery.
2: I'd be honored to do it.
1: Congressman, uh, thanks so much for joining us.
2: You bet. Talk to you soon, guys.
1: We are now joined by Andrew Romano, the West Coast correspondent for Yahoo News and our dear colleague, Andrew just wrote the first poll story for our our new partnership with YouGov, the new Yahoo News YouGov poll. We'll be polling over the next couple of months on impeachment and having Andrew on to dissect the numbers as we do so. The first poll uh, came out on Friday. And Andrew, I'm going to ask you to kind of walk through the numbers and tell us sort of what the top line is. But uh, from what I gather and from the story you, you wrote, there are a lot of people out there who think that Trump and a majority who think that Trump did some pretty bad things. But in terms of whether he should be removed from office, the needle has not That does not seem to have moved at all. But why don't you uh, walk us through the numbers and uh, how you see this very first poll that we've done?
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on, guys. So we were in the field with this poll. We were conducting this poll from November twentieth to twenty-second. I think that's Wednesday through Friday of last week. So right as Two weeks of televised impeachment hearings and wall-to-wall coverage were coming to a a close. The goal was to kind of take the temperature of the American people, you know, in the final stages of that and, you know, as they were kind of absorbing everything that had been revealed. So the thing I thought was most interesting in the poll results was when registered voters were asked to say whether they believe Trump did or did not commit specific acts in connection with Ukraine, which is, of course, the subject of the House impeachment inquiry. Uh, there were majorities who said he did some pretty bad stuff, including abusing his powers of president. So to break, break down those numbers, 58 percent of registered voters said they believe the president asked a foreign leader to investigate a political opponent, 51 percent said they believe he withheld military aid to Ukraine until they agreed to conduct the investigations he wanted, so the famous quid pro quo. And 51% said they believe he abused his powers as president. So you would think, especially with that last one, that there's nothing more impeachable, there's no offense more impeachable than abusing your powers as president. Yet, when you ask them to say whether he should be impeached or removed, two separate questions, impeached by the House, removed by the Senate. The numbers were less than a majority. 48% of registered voters said they favor impeaching Trump or removing him from office. 45% were opposed to impeaching or removing him. And that's pretty consistent with what we've seen throughout this process in other polls.
0: You know what leaps out at me on that is the very first number you cited, 58% believe that the president asked uh Zelensky to investigate his political <laughs> opponent right that is not in um, dispute that's like indisputable <laughs> he did okay, well, we have go, the transcript let
3: me, go, uh, let me go a little further than this this was actually a tweet i sent did out because precisely I
0: thought it was, that
3: yes yeah, it was very I, I found this pretty revealing so go a little deeper only 29 percent of republicans believe that trump asked a foreign leader to investigate a political opponent now this is Another way to say that is, a.k.a. said the words that were released by the White House, his own White House, in the transcript where he explicitly asked Zelensky to investigate Biden. So only 29 percent of Republicans believe that. It just shows you how people pick their own realities at this point.
0: So what is your takeaway from these numbers?
3: I mean, look, my takeaway is, one, that the House Democrats have made a fairly compelling case. That is, uh, you know, at least when you ask registered voters, they believe pretty much everything that Democrats are trying to uh, the the case they're making, what they're trying to prove with these with this impeachment inquiry. That said, it's not quite enough to convince a majority of Americans that Trump needs to be uh, impeached or removed from office. Now, there are some people who are undecided. One interesting thing about this poll, unlike some polls, is that it gave people a choice to say they're still not sure. And about 7% said they were undecided about Trump's uh, impeachment or removal. So that suggests there's some number of movable Americans on, on this subject. But even then, you're only going to get up to 55% maybe. And I think in America that's as divided as ours is today, that,
1: that's really not necessarily enough
3: to sort of change the whole political speculation, especially for Republicans in the Senate. So,
1: Andrew, um, you've done a fair amount of reporting, uh, kind of putting... Public opinion today, in the context of this investigation, into historical context, looking at the Clinton impeachment and public opinion, and also, uh, in some ways, most interestingly, the Nixon impeachment. And in the the Nixon case, you know, it, it took like a year or more before public opinion really moved against Nixon. So. What are the parallels to uh, the Nixon impeachment inquiry, or, you know, you can talk about Clinton as well, and this one and the, and the contrasts?
3: Yeah, that is a really interesting t- statistic, the one you just sort of hinted at. It, it took until, I think, August of 1974 to sort of cross that majority threshold for removing Nixon from office. That is where a, a majority of the American public thought that he should be removed. And it hit about 55% right around the time he resigned. So in terms of public opinion, we're not that far from that point. And in fact, there were times very early after sort of the the news broke on Ukraine where you had majorities of Americans saying uh, saying that they at least supported the impeachment inquiry or thought Trump should be impeached. Uh, So that was much, much faster getting to that point. But the political the political world is so different today um, that it's just. You know, even if you've got a slight majority of the Americans on the side of Democrats who are seeking to impeach Trump, Republicans are not going to be swayed by that. They they are concerned about the people who vote in Republican primaries, and those people are unwaveringly loyal to Trump, uh, and they're not being moved by this impeachment inquiry at all. And so the political calculation for those 20 Republicans in the Senate who would be you know, required to get to a two-thirds majority in order to remove Trump, that that, that they're watching those voters. They're watching the base voters.
0: Andrew, what was the breakdown among independents?
3: Independents. Let me grab it. Um, In terms of removing Trump from office, and that's an interesting question because it's something I looked at when I was writing this up as well. Uh, In terms of removing Trump from office, independents are at 40% yes, 37% no, and 23% not sure. So there is you know, it's a, it's a plura- it's a slight plurality with a lot of people who don't know what they think right now. And I guess the question there would be, you know, how could those people be moved over into the yes category? You could potentially get up to around 60%, but I don't know if that's going to happen. I think independents in general, this is another stat from the poll are paying a lot less attention to this than partisans on either side.
0: But I, I just want to make the point that you seem, you know, in the initial explanation, we talked about Republicans who Basically deny reality and uh, you know w- won't even accept what the transcript, uh, the the plain words of the transcript show the president said. But there, look, there's another resistance to impeachment among independents and moderates who accept that the president did some pretty unseemly, improper things here, but um, you know does it rise to the level of Impeaching him, removing him from office, when you have a country this divided, when you're overturning the results of the previous election in an election year, when you know there would be a strong argument, it seems to me that among that would cut with many to say, why don't we let the voters decide this?
3: Yeah, and I I think that's an argument not just among independents, but probably should be an argument among Democrats. As well. I mean, if I'm putting on my political strategist hat, it's probably going to be better for Democrats politically if they defeat Donald Trump at the ballot box than if they remove him through this constitutional process in Congress. You know, and this poll suggests that the the argument you just made there, which is Trump did bad things, but we don't know if it merits impeachment, is kind of where the American public is. They agree he did bad things, um, but they're not sure it quite rises to the level of taking him out of office and, you know, all of the the division that would result from that.
1: Andrew, that 58% number, you know, we talked about how it it suggests that, and, and with Republicans, I guess it's like 80 some odd percent who don't believe uh, that the president did what he plainly did, even according to the White House's own uh, transcript. But we talked about how that suggests that a lot of Republicans are, li- are living in their own reality. But it could also suggest that there are a lot of people out there who just aren't engaged, who aren't paying attention, and who don't really care that much, um, and maybe who are experiencing some kind of Trump fatigue. Was there anything else in the poll that uh, shed light on that possibility? Yeah, I mean, we asked, how closely have you been following the
3: hearings? And overall, the numbers were about 46 Percent of people who have been, who answered, uh, you know, our poll that they've been following very closely or somewhat closely. And then you had actually a majority say a little or not at all. Um, just doing the math in my head here, it was uh, 54%. So more people are not following it, basically, than are following it. And when you break it down by party, more Democrats are following it than Republicans or independents. So the people who are following closely tend to be the people who are already convinced that Trump should be removed from office. And that's one of the reasons it's not really changing people's minds. I mean, you know, if you go beyond that, some of this stuff is kind of baked into people's perceptions of Trump. And I think that that's that element of surprise or lack thereof is a part of this as well, is that people kind of knew Trump was a a quote unquote bad guy, but they felt like he was their bad guy. You know, I don't think that these revelations as disturbing as they might be in another context disturb people about Donald Trump as much. Uh so, you know,
1: although the, the yes, there uh, was I mean there was movement after the there was. Uh, the after the revelation of the call to Zelensky. And when all of that news started coming out and the whistleblower and, and Giuliani and all of that, uh it, we crossed a certain threshold that something like at least fifty percent of Americans believe that there should be an impeachment inquiry. That was a shift in opinion. So it was, it was a huge shift. It was a
3: 17 point shift. I think I measured it at one point from how people felt during the Mueller investigation. So yes, the people definitely thought that this was clear cut and worse behavior on, on Trump's part. Um, and that, that's still part of it. I mean, people for the inquiry, it's just getting them you know, a, a big majority sort of say he should be taken out of office seems to be pretty a pretty heavy lift.
0: In terms of the impact on uh, the presidential race, uh, let's, let's game that out a little bit. First, among the Democrats, uh, certainly uh, with an impeachment trial in the Senate, you'll have a lot of uh, senators running for president who will be chained to their desk having to listen to the testimony. But it's still unclear to me how this... Plays in the context of the Democratic presidential race and down the line in the general election, assuming Trump survives and is on the ballot running for re election in November.
3: Yeah, I thought about this a lot. I mean, one thing from the poll I just want to highlight we didn't ask about the presidential race, uh, but we did ask sort of a proxy question, which was the importance to your congressional vote and, you know, in deciding how to vote for Congress in next year's election, how important a factor. Will it be how your representative voted on impeachment? And this is one area where we had agreement between Democrats and Republicans. I think something like 74 percent of both said it would be either very important or somewhat important. That suggests that politically this matters to people, Um, where people stand on impeachment. Now, it might mean for a Democrat one thing and for a Republican another thing. But in either case, it's important to both sides. This impeachment inquiry and and where politicians come down on it. That said, I think in the in the presidential election, my sort of current take, and again, I've I've kind of gone through some various cycles of thinking on this, is that almost the biggest effect is going to be time, or to put it more precisely, lost time. I think Democrats who will be chained to their desk in Washington D.C. and unable to campaign in Iowa and New Hampshire in January that is gonna be a problem for them. And conversely, I think for Trump, this whole thing has been a problem. It's not necessarily because it's lowered his approval rating, so it has a little bit, but because uh, if you look back at history for uh, presidents running for reelection, Obama, in 2011 and 2012, he was polling around Labor Day of 2011, right where Donald Trump is, very low, you know, around 40% approval rating. And he basically spent the second half of that year, or the last uh, quarter of that year, out there talking about the economy being presidential, and he got his approval rating up to about 49 percent by the end of the year. That's where it remained when he was reelected in you know an electoral college landslide uh, in 2012. Trump hasn't been able to do that. Not that he would have the discipline to do it, but this has lost time for him, where he could be setting the terms of his reelection campaign, talking about what he wants to talk about. Instead, he's talking about whether you know, he bribed a foreign power and whether he should be removed from office. It's time he won't be able to get back.
1: So Andrew the uh, previous guest on this show was Steve Israel a Democratic Congressman from Long Island and who chaired the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and you know has been watching polling numbers very closely for a long time and he talked about how you know there's you've got the sort of 30 to 35% hardcore Trump voters I guess that's the Trump base You've got a, uh, I forget what his number was, but 45%, you know, who would never, ever, ever vote for Trump. Um, And then you've got this sort of 20, I think I got my math wrong. It may have been higher than that, but you've got this 20% of kind of undecided, voters in the middle and then you have to sort of look at the ones who are really in the battleground states when you're thinking about the presidential election and then in particular counties in those battle battleground states I know that this was a this was not a, uh, a poll that reflected the views of people in those in those areas but as you look at the polling and if you were someone who was trying to draw a connection between impeachment and um, the 2020 presidential election election. What would you specifically be looking for in the numbers going forward in some of those key places? And what are those key places?
3: Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we saw those key places in the 2016 uh, election, and they're going to be pretty much the same key places in in 2020. Obviously, uh, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, those states uh, that were previous blue wall states for Democrats that barely put Trump over the top in the Electoral College. And that's where, you know, as you say, Swing voters, you know, matter and independents matter, but they matter more in certain places and, and, and places like that. And then, um, you know, I think sort of conversely, it, it, it's also the Sun Belt states that are going to make a difference this time around, um, potentially give Democrats uh, a path to make up for some losses elsewhere, places like Arizona, uh, Georgia, even Texas, although it's a long shot for them to win there. They're they they, they they're kind of doing disproportionately well if you look at the polls uh, across those states and can, you know, it might be a place for a campaign to invest. So in terms of impeachment and how it connects to all of that, I think the voters who don't know who they want to vote for in 2020 tend to be the people who are tuning this out. Um, they're not paying close attention. They don't really say that they belong to one party or the, the other. That's that's always kind of true of, of swing voters. They're not people who feel very strongly that they belong in the middle of the political spectrum. They don't have strong views on ideology. And you know, so I, I think impeachment is, is not going to affect them all that much. And our poll kind of suggested that. It sort of showed that they're not watching this closely. And a lot of them are still unsure how they feel. And so you know, I, I think it's up to the campaigns to kind of make the case outside of the context of impeachment to those voters and give them a reason to come out and vote for them
1: I guess one thing that that impeachment could do is drive voters to the polls I mean just you know in terms of like energy and passion and you know on the on the Republican side the kind of impulse to protect this president and get him reelected on the Democratic side this guy's got to, is, is a criminal and has to go no matter what. And so more people will come out. Yeah, I think that process has already essentially been completed. And I think that turnout is going to be sky
3: high. I think both sides are incredibly motivated. And it's sort of Trump in general who does that. I think we're going to see that in the 2020 election, that it's just um, a huge, huge turnout election. And both sides will be very, very motivated to vote.
0: Just a couple of uh, final points here, Andrew. I I, I believe you said that the, uh, the polling was done between Wednesday and Friday of last week is that correct? Yes, yes. That was while Sondland was Wednesday, uh, Thursday and Friday. Uh, well, Thursday was the testimony from David Holmes and Fiona Hill and those were, you know, some of the most compelling testimony we had. You know, do you see the needle moving any further as we go into the Thanksgiving holidays <laughs> and and beyond? And if it doesn't, it strikes me that that's that's a pretty big problem for the Democrats. I guess put um, I guess putting put,
1: put putting the question another way is, do you need more big revelations to shift public opinion?
3: Yeah, and I think they need. I need to. They need to be big. I mean, I, I you know, you guys cover this every day. It seems like the case is laid out pretty clearly for what Trump did. The Democrats have, you know, over two weeks of public hearings and the previous private depositions put together a pretty, pretty clear case, you know, whether you think that's impeachable or not is is another matter. But, you know, I think unless there are further revelations, especially heading into the holiday season where people who are only kind of partially tuned in will tune out even further, it's hard to imagine that public opinion is going to shift a lot from here. I mean, maybe when it goes to a Senate trial, there could be some sort of shift depending on what happens there. But I don't know. It seems like we're entering kind of a, a quiet period in terms of um, revelations and, and public opinion. That's just my instinct.
0: Well, we will be uh, uh, fact checking your instincts uh, as the weeks go forward. <laughs> and um, and we'll you let you we'll, to defend yes, you, them. You,
1: Exactly. Uh, we'll right. let you defend yourself. And we'll, we'll, we'll be having you on as we um, think each time we do one of these polls, we're going to want to have you on uh, to uh, break down the numbers for us. So thank you, Andrew Romano. Thanks, guys. Thanks to former Congressman Steve Israel and our Yahoo News colleague Andrew Romano for joining us on this episode of Skullduggery. Don't forget to subscribe to Skullduggery on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And tell us what you think. Leave a review. The latest episode is also on Sirius XM on the weekend. Check it out on POTUS Channel 124 on Saturdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time with replays on Sundays at 1 a.m. and 3 p.m. Be sure to follow us on social media at Pod. Talk to you soon.